Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. The freedoms that Americans enjoy are not free and can be attributed to the dedicated service and the blood, sweat, and tears of many generations of our nation's military. The Military Hour is dedicated to the servicemen and women, veterans, and their families that have made the sacrifice to defend our Constitution and country. Military service is being part of something that is greater than yourself. General Joseph Gunford, 19th Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And now, it's the Military Hour with your host, Chad Woo. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back. It has been a long time since I have gotten able uh, to push out a radio show. Really excited to be back today. I've uh, got an awesome show uh, with, with a great guest. Um, it looks like one of my guests might have uh, uh, had something come up, so we're hoping he calls in later. But uh, I'll be joined by uh, Sergeant Sujin Welsh, who is a Marine combat veteran. And uh, I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about not only her time in service, but this amazing trip that her and I and uh, my friend Ben Congo, uh, we went down the, uh, the Grand Canyon here earlier this last year now dang it's 2019 uh the trip was life-changing to be to put it at its mildest i mean it was absolutely uh, a, a a showstopper as far as my transition it gave me the chance to to really take a knee focus on myself and just have a great time so it, i feel like it's really important as i've always advocated for to you know get out there uh, find ways to keep yourself engaged and, you know, find that emotional, mental, and spiritual happiness. And today we're going to touch on a lot of that stuff and the, the trials and tribulations that, uh, that came before the trip and what the impact uh, is and how it resonated with us. So um, I want to go ahead and uh, show a, a, throw a, a big shout out to all of my guests from around the world that are tuning in with us. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you, as always, to Lions Radio Network. And don't forget that you can share this with your friends uh, via the links that are provided on the website um, with Lions Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio. And uh, we will also be able to be found on iTunes and Amazon after the show. So um, without further ado, uh, I would like to bring on my friend, uh, Sergeant Susan Wells. Susan, Hi, I got you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chad. I appreciate that, and it's great to great to be part of something a little bit bigger than myself. So thanks for well, having me. As we talked about while we were in the canyon, and as we've you know stayed connected since our uh, since our awesome trip, um, we talked about how sometimes the most important thing that you can do uh, when you get out, when you feel like you don't have a purpose anymore, and that you're not really ma- able to make that global impact that when you're in service you felt like you had the ability to do, because I don't know about you, Susan, but I always felt like no matter where I was at, as long as I was ready and able, if 
the country needed me to run, uh, they could they could get me out the door, and I would I would be able to handle uh, something out there in the world that that most folks don't get the opportunity to do, which is why I loved my uh, time in service so much. Um, I'd like to I'd like to kind of um, start this this off if you don't mind, Susan. I'm gonna um, have you just. Tell us a quick little who's Susan and what did you do? And, uh, and then we'll, we'll start talking about our service together. How about that? Sure. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. Um, so I, I, um, I began my service in the Marine Corps uh, in 2008 um, and enlisted actually as a food service specialist, a cook. Um, I planned on attending cook school and did and while I was in. And spent some time in Japan um, working the culinary aspect, doing really well in that field. And then uh, what had camp an were you on in Japan? Um, I was actually on Camp Hansen uh, in Okinawa. What so year was I that? Spent, uh, that was in 2008 and 9. I was, in, I was on Camp Hansen at the Grunt Chow Hall over by the E Club. Uh, in 2010, so we oh, just, just missed, missed each other. You. Yeah, that was the one I worked at. I didn't work at 12th Marines, which is the newer one. Yeah, the Artie over... Hall. Yeah, right. So <laughs> small world. Funny. I'm sorry for interrupting. Uh, exactly. A little nostalgia. <laughs> right? No, it was a it was a really good experience. I enjoyed my time in Japan. Made the most of it. Um, and then when I came back stateside to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, that was the end of 2009 beginning of 2010, um, and did work as a, um, as a training chief for our food service company on Camp Lejeune. So I was in charge of the whole company as a corporal at that point and um, had an opportunity to either deploy with the cooks or become part of um, the female engagement team, which at that point I didn't really know a lot about it or what it was, um, one of my other female Marine friends who's still in, um, Emily Peterson told me about it and she was like, you should try to get on it. It's all these really cool females and you should do it. Don't be like with the cooks. So I was like, okay, um, I'll give it a try. So, um, we went into training in March, I believe of 2011 and, uh, it was 50 females, and of those 50, um, about 36, I believe, were the ones selected to go in country. Um, so it was a very different environment than your usual military training, um, other than that for female female Marines being in boot camp only with other female Marines. Um, so it was very a very different environment than what I had been used to in, in previous years, but um, we got out in country and got paired up and got sent to our battalion. So. Okay. So I, man, I, I gotta tell you, um, I think, and, and I, you know, I've told you this many times, but uh, I, as a Marine, as an infantryman, as a, as a squad leader and a platoon sergeant really had a bad experience with the female engagement teams, but your story is so impactful and it resonated with me and it made me proud to know that, you know, 
there was good groups of female engagement teams out there. Cause we started, when we were in Fallujah, I had some, uh, I had some female engagement team girls with us and, uh, you know, we started getting shot at and they were like cowering behind the Iraqi dude. And I'm trying to hold the outer cordon, like via radio, like check in with all my dudes. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have time to be looking outboard. I need, I've got two rifles. Right. Like, dude, use those guns, use your eyes. Like, tell exactly. me what you see. I've got to look inboard, you know, like this is not a time for exactly. chain smoking Newports. So it was, uh, it was really frustrating. Um, and, I- and but I, I know I know that your story is different, and I really want to I want to get into that. Um, I really do. But I, I think um, I think that uh, it, it's important to kind of lay some groundwork out. And uh, you know, for all of our listeners, um, you know, if you are a, um, a combat vet or have ever worked with the female engagement teams, and you have a, a personal opinion on um, what or you think they are, female. who they are, yeah. How about that? How about any female? Um, Bear with us, and I want you to know there, there's a good direction that this show's about to go uh, go down, and we're gonna sh- we're gonna shed some light, and we're gonna talk about some really kick-ass chicks that have done some things, came out, and you know what made me the saddest is the fact that uh, how y'all are treated, not only when you're in, but when you get out, and and we're we're gonna talk about that. So for some of y'all uh, that are listening, you know, you may have some preconceived notions. Bear with us. I, I want you to. I want you to hear what we have uh, today with this with with Susan because this is, uh, to me, it, it changed my whole ideal, my perspective, and uh, what what I what I believed uh, y'all were uh, capable of. I mean, you your story is just so cool, Susan. So. Um, well, thank you, Chad. I appreciate that. I I did want to at least. Um, I I think it's important that people kind of know where it evolved from the female engagement team portion Um, earlier on that they kind of developed in a combat environment because um, which even though I was never in Iraq, um, they developed into the the lioness program. Right. So they were all different MOSs and they would do primarily um, vehicle checkpoint searches with women. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of evolved over time to the female engagement teams. And when they first started out there, um, criteria for what was expected since females were not allowed in, in combat or on the front lines or in infantry units um, was very restricted on could they lay down fire or were they supposed to go back to the base. So as things progressed and as each team went out and came back with feedback, they did slowly make some changes so that by the time, um, you know, our group had been formed and got to, got to be in country, we were able to have some kind of actual mission, whereas before it was very vague. Um, a lot of people didn't know how to use them as an asset, or, but I think a lot of it fell on um, how each team presented themselves. And if they knew their mission well, they did well, whereas um, I think previous teams in the past have not explained or even known what their mission was, so they couldn't actually be as useful of an asset as they should have been. If that makes kind of some sense. So I know that from teams we learned. And so when we got out in country, we knew um, at that point um, they weren't starting any drawdowns in Afghanistan. So we left in September of 2011 and our mission was for coin operations. So to make friends with the locals and, hearts and minds type of deal. 
Um, but we also, it was during the Obama administration. So there was also other types of rules of engagement that we couldn't do, not just us, yeah. but the infantry guys as well. But yeah. what we learned was that these guys have been here before us. They've been doing this for a long time. We need to just soak it in because that's what's going to save us. And one of our first patrols outside the wire, I think it was a couple weeks in, um, we went on this patrol. It was a small patrol just to kind of get a feel for the area. And one of the compounds um, where they had a small outpost, uh, Watson was the name of it. And we kind of went in and got surrounded. But uh, that's that's where I had my first <laughs> firefight. And after that, our guys kind of took care of us. They realized that, hey, these chicks can really – when, when it comes down to it, they'll put down for us. And um, so after that, they wouldn't let any other, any other squads or platoons really mess around with us too much because we were theirs. So they were very protective in that sense. But we also made it a point not to um, entertain or really engage in any other manner than, you know, messing around after patrols, hanging out, but her and I, my team leader and I were always together um, and never made it about anything other than, you know, camaraderie, to, to be frank. So I think that also played a huge part um, because I know there were several females that, you know, gave others a bad, a bad rap for sleeping around and um, those things are, are just very out of place in a combat environment period. Yeah, it was, it was difficult for us. And, and that was kind of like our other experience. It's like, okay, if we take these girls out, and this is Iraq 08-ish. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, if we take the girls out, like we almost have to have like two dudes watching the two chicks from the platoon, which takes eyes outboard, inboard. And it was, so that was it frustrating. Limits your, and, it limits your assets. It poses as a security threat. Yeah, and then we we are protective though, you know, we and we want that, and like so. Then the fresh, the, I'll never forget this. Uh, my gunny comes up to me, and he's like, Wooten, dude, you've got to go clean up what's in front of the lioness's hooches." Because we, you know, we had like the the hooches and like the gravel outside. The girls mm-hmm. had gotten into a water balloon fight with my like lance corporals and privates, and there oh, was. Wow. The, the balloons had popped and stuck to the rocks because they were so hot. And they, they melted, melted to the rocks. Yeah. So there, it looked like a rainbow, like going up and down these two rows of pooches. <laughs> and my gunny was like, I want that gone now. I was like, what do you want me to have them do, gunny? He's like, pick up every rock with a balloon on it and get rid of it. So I went to like the, the corporal that was in charge and she was a little salty girl. She's like, well, you know, I, uh, you know, I, we're not doing that. I was like, uh, yeah, are, cause you're in my company. And they're, so they tried to use the, like, well, we're lionesses. We have a different chain of command. I'm like, negative. You're attached to us right now. I'm like, you got to clean up your water balloon. Right. Gunny said so. Sorry. And they, so they, they <laughs> did not like me, but when they, when they towered, when we had, there was some dude just like did a drive by, like we were, we were stopped. We were posted up in the Pollution Business District, uh, like at the mm-hmm. um, the headquarters, the police headquarters for this. They're doing the one of those stupid uh, like 
well, we've got all these conformed insurgents. They've been in jail for three years, and now they're they're getting back into society. Yay! So we were like, we, we had posted up, we were doing outer security, and uh, some dude just did a drive-by. It was like, you know, just shoot an AK out a window, one of my dudes. And so, but we still like, okay, immediately, what do I need to do? I need to gain understanding, visual, and maintain our, you know, our perimeter, like visually and with fire if needed. We didn't end up having to shoot anything because it was just a drive-by. But like, right. still, man, it was like that, okay, here we go. Like, there we go. It's go time. And I like, I'm on the radio because I was in charge of the outer cordons. I'm up in like a tower. And uh, like, I look over and these two girls are towered down, like behind this Iraqi dude that like, I mean, uh, this dude, he looked like one of those typical, like, bro, you're suffering from many years of inbreeding kind of guys. Like, <laughs> and they, you know, they throw the, the, and the Iraqis, they love to give them the, uh, like the, the blue candy, like the, like the Navy had for a while. Like, it's like, bro, you're in Iraq, man. You're in the desert. Like, you look like a piece of ocean. What are you doing? This dude, like, he has no idea what he's doing. And these girls, they don't even have their weapons, like, oriented out out the window. So, like, it was just, uh, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. That yeah. was actually also the day that uh, one of, so one of the dudes that was in there, he was like, bro, he comes up to my captain, and he's like, I was a rat while I was in there. They're going to kill me. Please help me. And my interpreter, his name's Crash. He's awesome. Uh, he's, dude, this guy, talk about a combat vet. Like, thank God he got his U.S. citizenship, man, because this guy, from the time he was, like, 18, for six years straight, was in the Fallujah AO. And, like, we used oh, to go wow. on seven-month rotations. He goes from wow. battalion to battalion to battalion. Like, he would go on 10 days of R&R back to, you know, somewhere. I think he lives somewhere around Baghdad. And uh, so he would but crash they call him crash because uh in one of the one of the big battles for fallujah um he was attached to a group and like he drove a humvee into a wall to go get a marine that was like trapped inside of a building and so they called him crash (laughs) and uh, so crash is like hey sir like we should probably (laughs) take this guy i think he's pretty serious like they really are going to kill him and uh so we throw them in the MRAP, and, uh, which MRAPs in Fallujah are stupid. Like, we, we tore down so many of their power lines. You know, they have those, like, the third world, like, bees nest of power lines. Like, and our intent yes. just rip them down. We're like, ooh, we can't take these in here anymore. Like, we got we to gotta figure this out, which is, it sucked because it, it really it canalized us in, like, a few very specific roads. So Crash, he's like, yeah, man, we should take this dude with us. I'll call a taxi. So we're driving out towards Karma, and we get out of town. And dude's like, this isn't far enough. This isn't far enough. Crash is like, bro, this is the end of the road for you, man. You're getting out. Dude gets out and out of protest, jumps up on the trailer that we were towing behind one of the MRAPs, like uh-huh. jumps on like the yoke and squats, pulls his man jam up and tries to poop on oh, the freaking no. trailer. Like, is this dude trying to no. poop on the trailer? Crash grabs him and is like, yeah! like starts like walloping on him a little bit. And this dude, like, oh, pulls up man. his man jam. He didn't poop on the trailer. He didn't get it out. But, thankfully, Crash was on Yikes. it. So, like, this dude throws his man jam down and just takes off running south. And, I like, I know what's down south. I can see the map. There's nothing. He just runs. Like, it's like one of those things, like, you would have thought we had a gun to him. Like, he just ran south. And he, I mean, he's had, we're, we're, he was heading down to the Zion district. I'm like, bro. If you think the insurgents want to kill you, you shouldn't go to the Zion, Zion area, man. Like, they're going to get you. 
<coughs> wow. But anyway, yeah, dude, t- totally tried to poop on her trailer. Sorry, you know how you get on. TV. That is uh, so wild. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was a very crazy. memorable day. Isn't it crazy? Like, I mean, that was figure over a decade ago, but it feels like it was yesterday, man. I mean, that's yeah, uh, it's common with us. But okay, so that was kind of my experience, and and you know, I kind of held that that animosity and that grudge. I, I I didn't go out of my way to be mean to females, but I mean, you guys experienced a lot of harassment. Yeah, there definitely was that aspect too, um, in in perspective. Um, I mean, you got that even at the starting line in boot camp. I know there are other female Marines who heard this from their drill instructors, but we were always told the same thing: you can be one of three things, and they weren't nice. Um, well, what were they? I mean, so, you can. I know what they are. You can. You can say it. Um. So they told us you could either be a bitch, a dyke, or, you know, uh, well, I'll see you next Tuesday. So anyway. Yeah, um, well, or, or, <laughs> well, they, uh, one of, one of the, uh, um, the ladies of the night, I think there was a, yeah, a, a little bit so more offensive word they there, used, right? There is. And I'm keep it minimal, but any other female Marine who's out there knows she was told the same thing. Um, so you have kind of a stigma around you anyway, going out into a man dominated environment. Um, so even in garrison, there's plenty of harassment on deployment. It was the same. Um, not so much for, um, my team, like, uh, Mariana Miller, she's now a gunnery sergeant. Um, she's a recruiter now, but, um, she, she and I, um, worked very hard just to shut down any kind of rumors. And um, anytime we were teased or sort of harassed, uh, we just kind of came back with it. So we didn't, um, we weren't rude about it, but we weren't the ones using all the wag bags, so to speak. And we weren't yeah. the ones, you know, we weren't the ones, if we didn't have a mission for that patrol, if there was not going to be an opportunity for us to engage with the population and they had a different objective, we didn't go on that patrol because we right. also wanted our guys to know that we're not here just to like have a great time. It's not about yeah. that. You know, if we have a purpose and we have a mission. And I think, um, I think it, that probably got better over time. So I think some of the guys who had prior female engagement teams didn't have such clarity from their teams. Um, right. But at the same time, I mean, responsibility lies with both parties. As far as harassment goes, um, there was one incident that comes to mind very quickly, um, and he he was uh, <laughs> he was our first sergeant, um, and a lot of the guys. So they always make this makeshift gym. Everybody knows it, out of ammo cans and sandbags, and we all know what that gym looks like. So every every thing is a gym. So we go to the gym, we're working out. Um, one of the days we got back, we're in silkies, green on green. And the first sergeant says to me, he's like, hey, hey there, Welch, uh, I don't really think uh, you should be wearing silkies. It's, you know, it's really inappropriate around here. And I was like, oh, um, you know, that's not a problem, first sergeant. I don't, I don't have a problem not wearing silkies. That's fine. But you're going to have to tell the rest of your guys not to wear silkies either because they cut the liners out of theirs. So right. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, I, I, I don't know. really want to see what's coming out there. 
if you're going to do this to me. So I uh, might, might want to just back up a little. So after that, I didn't really have any issues. Um, but there, there definitely was um, rumor mills that would start or someone would try to start a rumor mill. Um, but since Miller and I were always together, it was always fun to hear and then interject about the details and then they got called out. So those kind of got, got stopped in their tracks for us. Um, once they realize that, oh man, okay, I guess we can't, all right, you guys are all right. Like we can't really do anything. Um, so harassment out there was actually a lot less, um, so than it was in Garrison and Garrison, it was a lot harder coming back than that. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've got a purpose when you're, when you're downrange, it's like, Hey man, I'm here to be the most savage dude out the wire and, stay alive that's it I don't worry about my bank account or anything at home it's like that's I, I right. miss like so many veterans I mean and we've talked about this too so many veterans just miss war because it's so simple it's cut and dry it's black and white it is live through the day and it's a good day that's it that's your only job yeah. like live through and the I day and don't let anybody die what helped build um on our reputation was that we always like Mel and I always kept in mind Um, like we attended every patrol brief, even if we weren't going to go so that we could continually learn what the different colors of smoke meant and what star clusters were and all Mm -hmm. these other, how to, you know, navigate at night and learn all these things that we hadn't learned in training because we knew if we were going to be a productive asset of any patrol that we went on, we needed to at least know those things and be at least adequate and schooled enough to give our own patrol brief if we had to, which we, never wanted to um so we definitely um we we got met with a lot of hard-headed squad leaders um some who just did not want to take us on our patrol they just refused and did not want to and we just would work around that so after a while they came around eventually towards the end of deployment we're like you know we were jerks like we shouldn't have you know kept you off this or that we could have used you for this when they realized other squad leaders were actually getting something out of it. Um, but I do. Well, you that... also earned your keep. I mean, let's, let's be real. Like when, when push came to shove. So do you remember when, when we were going down the Canyon and I told you there was like some, some whispers like coming out of the river, like asking about like some of the things you did. And I was like, okay, no problem. So you were with first battalion, six Marines and I was in third battalion, right. six Marines. And I didn't go on the Afghanistan deployments with them. Um, I got there just after. So I had all the, all the Marja vets and they were mm-hmm. really tight with one six because Marja like one six and three six, like they kind of rolled in together. From my the, understanding. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Yeah. For the, for the Hilo assault, the largest Hilo assault since Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and uh, so those guys, they were a wealth of knowledge for me, man. Here I am just an Iraq vet. Like they're, they're, know-how and knowledge and the things that they were able to to like just know from you know the the heuristics and the, and the lessons learned it was, yeah yeah it was awesome Absolutely. i love learning from my guys so for sure and one thing like i let me if, if you will just bear with me for a yeah, second go ahead. so when we got back off the river uh you know obviously like you and i are we're we're bro and sis like forever now it's never like that's that's just how it's going to be, but we went through a pretty gnarly thing on the river that we bonded through. So I was like, no, I'm going to stick up for my girl. And I called, I was like, it took me two phone skips away. Like I called one dude and he was like, Oh, here's a number for the guy that was there 
the day of your bizarre incident. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I called him. I'm like, yo, hey, what's up with Susan Welsh? And the dude's like, bro, that girl was doing stuff that the guys weren't doing post-blast. Like, she rocked up and was kicking ass and taking names. Like, they were like, I would have rather had her than some of our some of our corporals that weren't, you know, doing specific things. I mean, so I, I want you to I want you to have your time. I want you to I want you to take a little bit of time right now and just talk about your experience and what happened at the bazaar so that people understand just how badass a female marine can be downrange. Right. Well well, going back to the one six thing really quick, since they had all been in Marja um, the guys that we that I was out there with, um, those guys had a, a very different experience from mine. I, it was the only deployment I was ever on was that one. And so their experience was, hey, this is a pretty quiet deployment. We're kind of in this rural area, kind of boring. Um, and so for them, it was a, a different experience. Um, but when, when the blast, when the bizarre bombing happened, it was a suicide bomber attack on the Kajaki Bazaar. Um, and during that, um, it was towards the end of one sixes tour. So even the advance party with one eight, um, had come in during that time. And some of the other guys had left. Um, so they were, it was some of their last patrols with our guys and, um, our team didn't go with them because we came out at a different time. So that was also an inconvenience. But um, what happened that day was uh, we were headed back from patrol, um, and this is just my experience. Um, I'm drawing on from what I know. I know other people have other views and, and stuff. But um, coming back from this patrol, we we have our satellite patrol heading up to the base. They were on their way to get debriefed, um, and we were in the bazaar, and um, obviously I don't remember hearing or really seeing anything because that's how fast it goes, as I know a lot of veterans experience that. Um, but the next thing I recall was um, when I regained consciousness, I the first thing I noticed besides the small kid that was near me was that I didn't have any Marines around. There were no Marines. There was no other uniform in sight, none. Um, And for me, that was a huge thing, a huge, like, in that instant, I knew I didn't have enough rounds at all for all of these other civilians who are running and fire and smoke and like a slow motion movie. Um, And then, so I just I got up and um, was trying to locate or figure out a way I could get to the to the base or somehow out of this area. Um, and I saw my linguist who had been standing next to me taking a picture of me and my my favorite Ted. Um, but he uh, he was hurt and injured, and so I I helped him and I kind of commandeered this ANCOP truck that was coming up the middle of the bazaar and told the driver at gunpoint to drive and that I would shoot everybody in the back of his truck if he didn't. Um, and I put Shaw in his truck, who's my linguist, and um, I also saw that there were <laughs> there were um, rounds that were going to cook off nearby, so I kind of grabbed that 240 that was there, and we walked 
I had the truck go and then I walked with the truck kind of through this fire and to the other end of the bazaar, which was a few shops away. And that's where the Marines had kind of pushed to do their triage and treatment of the injured. Yes. And uh, collection point. Yeah. So the security in that area was very, um, very minimal, but they were starting to get it together. Um, and post up security and there was ICOM chatter coming in that they were going to get hit again. And, you know, I see my buddy down, uh, Corporal Philip McGee and he was getting worked on and I'll spare the details on that. Um, but after that, after that, um, after that mass casualty, it was about 70, 74, 73, 74 casualties, um, primarily civilian children, um, and a, and males, um, females don't really go to the bazaar. After that was all said and done, which it took several hours, they ran out of birds um, from Bastion and birds like Lash helicopters, and, right? Yeah, like medevacs. So they, we yeah. were still waiting on medevacs for hours because they had, it was so many casualties coming through. And um, so that all happened, and um, I. Um, after that, my team leader and I, our relationship was not the same and, um, and it became very difficult for us to work together. Um, it wasn't the same tight knit, close sharing relationship we had had. Um, and then after one six ripped the following week after that incident and a new group came in, we had to start building our reputation all over again. Um, even though they knew about it, they weren't there to have that experience. So right. um, on top of dealing with that major, that major trauma, um, it also was a challenge and a trauma in itself to have to reestablish ourselves as what our mission was and what we were there to do. Um, so that definitely came at a, at a poor time. But um, I think after that, I, came back to the states things weren't the same I, I couldn't really work in the galley anymore things were I was jumpy all the time so I asked my monitor to move me he moved me to New River and I was a barracks manager for like mm, a year and a half and then went over to Wounded Warrior Battalion um you but, took some shrapnel in that in that IED strike didn't you uh Miller and I both did uh but we like we weren't medevac we figured we have our arms and legs we're fine Right. Move, yeah. move along. Ten fingers, so, ten toes. You know, exactly. And what we didn't realize that both her and I, from suffering from concussions, like whether it's one, whether it's five, it doesn't get better at all. Um, and I know there's many others out there who have given way more. But the point I'm making was that um, I think in a lot of ways female Marines um, or females in that type of position or environment um, get a get a hard knock. Um, somebody I know, her name is Beth Abbott. She's still active duty on Camp Lejeune, and she was actually my green hat, my sister platoon's green hat in boot camp. And she was one of the first lionesses out in Iraq, and you can find her on YouTube and and whatever. And she speaks about her experience. Um, but she really inspired me as far as to continue pushing forward and always improve yourself. She really lived it. And I think 
transitioning out since females don't, they don't have the same psyche as males do. We know this. Um, their behaviors are more self-destructive and self-sabotaging than they are drinking and substance abuse as male counterparts. Males do. So I think, yeah. right. And so I think a lot of the times the treatment plans or the way that the approach is with combat vets is totally different for females than it is for males. And it gets standardized and then you get lumped into another group. So I think having an opportunity to bring it back around, having an opportunity to go down the Grand Canyon was quite, it couldn't have come at a better point for me. Um, You know, and having, you know, you know, at the start of our journey, we were blessed by a Hopi chief who came to us to bless us on that our journey. That was so cool. I'm asking the other guides, the other guides were like, we have never had this occur in all our trips. Like sometimes we'll go to certain ceremonies, but never, let alone a chief, never have they come to us. Never. And he gave us like 30, so, 45 minutes, the blessing, the song. I mean, had the yep. shrine set up. Yep. He gave and us all our markings. With our corn pollen. Yep, yeah. and gave us our Roadrunner feathers that are for yeah. protection, and yep. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so having that I, experience me, at the beginning, yeah, it was good. Let me, uh, let me, let me go ahead and jump in because I'd like to kind of tell why why my Grand Canyon trip, what the backstory is, and why it it affected me so deeply. So just give me a give me a sec here. Go I'm, for it. I'll go yeah, into sure. it. So. After 10 years of being a Marine, um, you know, I was a, I was a grunt, I was a machine gunner. Um, I was uh, a platoon sergeant at one point, you know, and then I ended up over at uh, Marine Special Operations Command. And, uh, you know, I had just been running and gunning for 10 years straight. I never really had uh, a break. I never did the like, oh, you're up at four years, like you need to go be a drill instructor or a SOI, a school of infantry instructor or, a, you know, a recruiter. Um, I never did that. So I ran my body pretty hard. I, I lost an inch of height. Uh, while I was in from uh, carrying heavy packs, heavy machine guns, you know, this Mark 19, 77.6 pounds, you know, I mean, things are heavy, right. things hurt. And, uh, you know, so I, I was over at Marine Special Operations Command. Uh, I made it through assessment and selection in 2011. And, um, you know, I was uh, down doing the uh, amphibious portion, um, well, and, and amphibious uh, event down in, uh, down in Florida. Um, and that was the last day that I actually operated as, as Chad and my, uh, my back went out the day after what we call the mother of all boat races. So we were doing, uh, engine appreciation week, which is you paddle everywhere and, uh, you know, you paddle your big rubber boats. Everybody thought we were Navy SEALs. They're like, Oh, look at the SEALs. It's like, dude, whatever. Like clearly this is good. I'm not even going to go to that. You know, you know how that goes. Um, so, the last yeah. day before I got hurt, um, we were we were in boats, we were paddling. Um, my shoulders were torn, and my back was really jacked up, and and I've been kind of just limping through. But I would I wouldn't give up, man. And I, I remember like the no, hardest. No, you definitely didn't. You did not give the up. The hardest, the hardest questioning that I ever had for myself was sitting there at four in the morning in my hotel room, like I have to go out and get in the water and do this two kilometer fin that we've done every day for, I don't know, like 10 days in the morning, in the cold with wet clothes and like 60 pounds of kit and like 
all kinds of stuff on and, you know, I got to fit in a certain distance and, you know, I'm like, man, I'm really hurting today. And all I had to do is say, guys, I'm hurting. I need to, I need to tap out. And if they were, everybody would have been like, respect, man. Like you push through it as long as you could. But I was like, right. Nope. nope. I'm, I'm going out there today and I'm going to give everything I got. Well, by the time I was done, man, I, I caught, you know, I, I got pulled out of the water, uh, I only had the use of one leg and I had lost feeling in, in my left arm. I could, I, they thought, they actually thought I had MS when I first, when they first wow. got me, but it was just from all of the compression and we've been carrying that boat all day to day prior. So it really just, it, it was the, wow. it, was, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. So when, when, I, you know, you and I both went through the program with Focus Marine Foundation out in Missouri. You went, you went there before me, right. but you know, that was, that day in the water was the day my music stopped, man. It's like I was high flying, doing everything, adrenaline junkie, like always had like the best platoons, always had like the best teams, like loved, loved, loved my job. Thought I was going to do 20 plus years, but my body gave out on me. And it was so defeating because both is like, and we've talked about this too. It's like when you get out, you're like, yeah, everything's cool. And then all of a sudden you're going on all these medical appointments. They're like, oh, well, did you not know you also had this? And did you also not know that you're... Yeah, like you leave your medical appointment thinking you're going to die the next day. Dude, and then, so, like, it was bad enough by the time I left the Marine Corps, but then I got to the VA, and, it, like, I, I... If you've heard this show before, I am not a VA basher. If you want to be a VA basher, go ahead. That's not me, man. I think you should. If somebody's there to provide you a service, try and be nice. If they screw you over, go through the proper courses of action to, to you know... Uh, move forward with that and and adjudicate whatever grievance you have with them, but don't walk in always feeling like they're going to label you or give you a, you know, a, a, a drop your percentage. If you go in feeling like you're going to be victimized, you're going to find out how to be victimized by the time you're out of it. And that's, exactly. that's just my take it's on gonna it. It's going to manifest my... in whatever you believe. But Usually. I did, I did, however, have, you know, I, I mean, it, it was like, man, after I, I had been out and like not even not even like six months and I was already on 18 pills and I'm like dude half a year ago I was on no pills except ibuprofen now they're telling me I got ADD and like I'm I'm this and my TBI and both my shoulders and you're on a lyric dude I was on 18 pills a day and I was just like what happened to me you lose your sense of self you lose your sense of purpose you lose your identity you lose that ability to feel like you have some type of global impact and then on top of it, you start amassing all of the, the receipt of damage that you've done to yourself over 10 years, man. It, it is so defeating. And so it is. Going, it through Focus, is. going through Focus Marine Foundation, I learned a lot about how to transition. And I thank God I have a great lady at the VA that steered yes. me towards going out to Focus. It was hugely impactful. And, you know, Focus, yes. Vantage Point, all of that, and the, the, what we do there Focus, is so Focus, I think, great. is something that more people should definitely be attending. Um, yeah. for sure. I think, I think I mean, what they're a, good it's about an emotional doing immersion it. and you come it out is. and you kind of de-louse some of those, some of that stress and anger and confusion it and you is. get to be around your brothers and sisters again. And, you know, so it's so and, but cool. It's also but it's hard work because it really makes it you is. do a lot of self, like a lot of self-reflection. Um, well, that I is mean, but think about this. Deeper. We're great at taking care of our teams. We're not going to take care of ourselves. Like that is exactly. not something exactly. that we do. So, you know, going, getting selected to go down this Grand Canyon trip uh, through the Grand Canyon River Runners Association, 
Um, and then mm-hmm. some awesome ladies from the Navy Marine Corps Leap Society, specifically Sue Waddingham. Love that lady. Kim Bradley wasn't there, but always love giving a shout out to her. She's just right. a gem. Um, but, you know, but this the great way that trip, Hank, Yeah, Hank Dietering really did a, an incredible job and continues to do an incredible job just really identifying who specifically needs to go out there and what yeah. his expectations are of, for the trip. So. Well, and I mean, how awesome is that guy? He's a warfighter himself, man. Vietnam. He was a he was a pilot, flew like helicopters, mm-hmm. and had an infantry company at one point. I mean, that dude's yeah. that dude's the real deal, man. But he realized he really that is. he went down the Grand Canyon and had like a healing experience, and that's kind of how all of this started many years ago. And so we were right. what the third class that went down. Um, I think we were the fifth. I think we were the fourth okay. or fifth, actually. Yeah, um, he only does it once a year because of his sponsors mm. and things like that. But, um, you know, it's well over, you know, 100000 total for yeah. the entire trip to happen. So. Yeah, and they, I mean, yeah. these guys put it all on. It's all expenses paid for the veterans. I mean, we went down. They, they said, you're going to go down the Grand Canyon. And me being my adventurous self, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. They're like, you're doing 255 miles, and you're going to eat steak at night. I'm like, what? Like, awesome. So, I mean, yeah. the food was killer. Our guides knew. So, it, was like a, it was like a documentary. Like, Erica, like, she was mm-hmm. freaking, like. Erica was an absolute rock star. Yeah. Oh, she was, she was and awesome. And so was Turbo. Um, yep. Grant. Um, yep. So I know the guys were great, and they put together a very well, um, a very well balanced way to handle any kind of situation. Um, a lot of exploration going on, um, and a lot of history there that you know I never knew about. I never knew the Grand Canyon used to be a coral reef. Who would have yeah. thought? John Wesley Powell. Yeah. Man. Right? Like, who would have thought yeah. there were so many fossils there? But Oh, those fossils were so cool. And, but I got to, I mean. And so, you're the one who's like the fossil king, constantly finding uh, them. So you I definitely found, found them for me. Yeah, so that, was that was great. Pretty cool. So let's, uh, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to something that I was uh, talking about, you know, a, a little bit ago. And that's, you know, so I, I got. Uh, I got hurt while I was out on the water in boats, and I, I, I've been I've been an adventurous guy. I've, I've paddled rivers all throughout the United States, um, climbed Mount Fuji. You know, I've done a bunch of climbing in the mm-hmm. Rockies, Sierra Nevadas, the Appalachian, and all that stuff. And for me, like the Grand Canyon, like I had never even seen it, and it, and it made me sad because I lived in Cali for a while, and I, I never even went. And it was it was so breathtaking. I mean, we flew into Marble Canyon on that plane and mm-hmm. we got this the first time I saw the canyon was from above and it was just like whoa that thing's huge and then you get in it and it just gets bigger and big. every day those the oh, walls does. just grew I mean and it that does. water was so cold it was it was nuts yeah so we have a paddle raft uh, aside from our uh, our motorized boats and I'm not gonna lie it was I had never well I hadn't been in a boat since my incident down at the schoolhouse. I'd honestly kind of like had an aversion to it. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like there, I just have such bad feelings that were emerging when I would think about getting back in a boat because of 
being injured, you know, down right, there. It sounds kind of sounds sounds lame. I mean, that's like of all things, like, but no. I, I just really I didn't know how I was going to do. So I mean, we post we 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 waited quite a few days before we actually got in the paddle wrapped, and uh, well, you know, it was so three it's days. cool. On day three, on yeah. day three is when we went in at uh, right. Phantom Ranch after we stopped at yeah. Phantom Ranch, which is kind of their halfway-ish. Dumbledore, that was the one, that was the big rapid that we did, right? Or Dubendor? It was Dubendor. Dubendor. I was Dumbledore yeah. because of the freaking yeah. Harry Potter thing. So I remember it. Yes. So but yeah, Dubendor the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, for the listeners uh, that are on here, only thirty thousand people get to go down the Grand Canyon annually. It's very regulated. Grand Canyon River Runner Association puts this trip together for 30 veterans uh, and, and some uh, some support staff to go down um, once a year as a as a healing trip, sponsored but you know and put together by uh, by Hank Dietering and um, so mad shout out and love to them. And you know these Absolutely. these guys that we had were so professional. I mean they because we're dealing with rapids. The rest of the world does rapids out of a class five scale. Grand Canyon's out of mm-hmm. ten. It's a ten scale. We hit, right. we hit, what, a nine? It was Dubendor, I think, or something like that when we went through it. Because it, it changes yeah. daily from the water flow. But uh, so, I, I, I mean, Susan and I went through an experience on this raft. We had some of our friends, a couple of my buddies from when I went through Focus, and then uh, some other, we kind of created a little tribe. Because I mean, we were sleeping under the stars every night. And, you know, the, uh, the well, let's. The, you can tell the listeners why what created our tribe because until then we were kind of like the guys kind of slept in their area and I was with the other two female nurses because um, other females had backed out of the trip that were supposed to go. Um, so yeah. I was for the first three days or so I was just pretty much with the chicks to kind of just keep a minimum to any kind of rumor mill. I just didn't have time the for nurses that. Didn't that deal with it. veterans. Exactly. So I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to hang out with these ladies for now. Um, but after, um, after our experience there, um, after Phantom Ranch, when we ran those rapids and our boat got overturned, that's when our team really, I think, became much, much more tight than it had been previously. Oh, no, no for doubt. Sure. So my buddy, uh, my buddy Jesse, um, who's over with Warrior Surf Foundation, and he's going to Citadel now. He's here in South Carolina. I get to see him every once in a while um, when we go down to Vantage Point and things like that. Um, Jesse and I bonded really, really quickly at, at, uh, at Focus. Same with Ben Congleton, Congo. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of came out of Focus, like, already, already tightened it. Like, we were like, okay, yeah, we got each other. Like, this is it. So, um, you know, and there's anxiety. It's like, it's like what they tell you when you go into Focus, like, you the hardest thing to do step up step foot on the plane so like getting there all of us like we were like no way you're here oh i didn't that's awesome and you know so the boys right. and I already we had already kind of meshed but when we went to go get in the paddle raft uh and susan was like i'm going too we we're like hell yeah jump in so we got in and it was my first time back in a raft uh since my days at the schoolhouse and it was it quickly it was became tough on you it was it very was. tough on you. Um, it was because, emotionally and physically. My back. Yeah, was I mean, up. we got exactly. It and was, my shoulders. Um, I think it was very rough on you, and I think at one point you switched sides. I think in the raft mm-hmm. before, in between yep. one of the the rapids. Um, yeah. I think you went Thank up God to the I front did. We had, and then yeah, to the back. Front, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you had switched the, from being the in the back. Lit. 
Yeah. So when the boat flipped, uh, you know, um, I I did you what I knew to do. You would spot. Yeah. And I I uh, I leaned up. I got I we call it high side. I just started pushing all my weight up towards where the boat. Was. We had just gotten through the rapids, dude. That was the crazy part. Like we got through yeah, all we these did. rapids. Yeah, we did. So we got through the rapids. Get Let's this... gonna tell it chronologically, because like yeah, we got we go. through the rapids. Yeah, and as um as was per the usual, when there's flat water, um, we'll hook up the small paddle rafts to the bigger motorized rafts raft and then tow save our energy for the next rapid so we were going in to like tie up um to the larger rafts and we were just paddling very fast along with the current um they were swinging the raft around it it was kind of um a combination of those poor coordination on different levels so um we were coming in really fast and when our raft hit it kind of went and just turned up on its side so now you can kind of say where how you jumped on the side it, it got sideways, yeah, so I, I, threw my, I threw my weight, and then uh, uh, Darren was uh, in uh, across from me, and his foot was hooked he was in front the left. foot hook. Yeah. yeah, so I reached down, and, and I grabbed him, pulled him up, and we both threw our weight along with, uh, with Turbo, and the other dude that uh, was a JD, that was, uh, I think it was JD, and, uh, yeah. you know, we threw our weight, and we flattened back out. Well, as soon as we turn around, we're like, oh crap! We got three people in the water, and I mean, we had we had vests mm-hmm. on and everything. But I went into holy crap! I'm looking for paddles, and Turbo's like, paddles don't matter. I'm like, dude, paddles mean people. I'm looking. Hold on. I'm like standing up, looking for you guys. And so Jesse got sucked under the furthest, but you and Congo got sucked down. Man, y'all were the first two to pop up. And how? I mean, that was so scary. Do you want to tell it from your perspective? Yeah, um, so when the boat capsized, I mean, we weren't planning on it capsizing, you know, after a rapid. During a rapid, yeah, you are like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get thrown out, but not not after when you're going to tie up. So I know, at least for myself, I didn't have much time to even take in a good breath of air. Um, right. You know, being in the back left and closer to the water as it flipped. Um, so for me, when I went down um, – I just kind of took a quick breath and felt the water. I didn't ever think that it would be anything more than me just popping right back up, like right back up. But what I didn't know at the time was that uh, I was coming up under the raft. And so I could see light, but I couldn't get any air. Um, And I was starting to like panic, but I was like telling myself not to panic. And then the river pulled me like, like somebody grabbed my legs and pulled me down and it just got blacker and blacker. And I'm starting to like gulp in air, like, like trying to recycle it or trick my body. It's not working on thinking about are my two kids' faces. That's all that's coming to mind. And then I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, like I'm totally going to die here. Like I am going to die right here. And there's nothing at all I can do about it. I can't do anything about this. Nothing. I can't swim. I don't know which direction to swim in. If I can swim, if I relax, I'm still going to get pulled down by this current. So I, I'm going to die. And um, in a last ditch effort, I kind of pushed my arms out, like, to just feel, to try to get one last little bit of bearing. And when I did that, I felt something against my hand that I knew was not river 
rock or anything, it was man-made. It was a life jacket. It was something. So I was like, well, if this is a person, um, I'm going to be climbing on top of them because I'm not dying today. And, and um, so we kind of, under the water, this other person and I just kind of like ended up sort of bear hugging, clinging together, and it was enough to bring us buoyant to the surface. And um, it was then when I was like, oh, crap, that's like Congo. And I come out of the water, this big breath. And I'm like, oh, my God, we, like, almost died. Like, I'm in panic mode. And Congo's like, oh, shut up. We're fine. He's laughing like it's a great time. And I'm like, dude, this is full panic for me. And he's like, oh, no. Um, if you're watching Jesse's GoPro, it's, him and I were under for about 45 seconds because Jesse was under for a Holy good 55. Crap. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, I forgot it was that long. I thought it was in the 20s. Yeah. It was very, very long. Um, and so Congo told me, he's like, Hey, just pop your feet up. Like just relax, pop your feet up. And so my toes just, I'm like, well, he's a squatter leader. He's in squatter mode. I'm no one. So I'm going to listen. He knows he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Meanwhile, Congo tells me later, he's like, oh, well, actually, I didn't really know, but whatever. <laughs> you were so freaked out. I'm like, well, you should have been freaked out, too. But then Jesse <laughs> came up, you know, later, um, you know, his arm and, and stuff. And, I, you know, Congo and I were busy trying to get on the boat while they were, um, you know, dealing with Jesse. And so finally, when they got everybody got on the boat and could kind of breathe a sigh of relief, we were coming up to our next rapids and they were like, okay, well, we still need people back in the boat. You guys going to go? And of course, you know, Congo and Jesse, Jesse didn't say a damn thing. He didn't need to. Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> um, but Congo was like, no, Jesse needs me. I, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, seriously, you guys like, oh, I cannot just, I don't want to go. Like, I want to stay, but I got back in that boat anyway. So, yeah, no, I, I think I remember. I think I remember telling you, "Come on, you gotta, you gotta conquer the next one, so you can get." You I'm can like, I am so terrified, it. but I ended up just, you know, eventually just crowd, crouching down in the boat because I was uh, so terrified of like getting out. I was like, I'm just gonna watch the wave rather than yeah. be a, a hang up and a problem. So, anyway, well, then, but then so, that night. Yeah. No, go ahead. So, tell. tell Tell them, so apparently the year prior, uh, a girl had died at that exact location, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the people on the trip decided to uh, divulge that to you, and I remember you were like, dude, seriously? Like, why are, yeah, why are you? Yeah, and, and told us how, um, how they had to tow her body back in there in front of her family and friends to yeah, a point where they could they extract could her. Calm. Yeah, and um and they were saying that, you know, at least, you know, she was with friends and family in her death. But I was like, that's not really something I want to hear. So, you know, after the boats <laughs> were unpacked and, and we were done for the night, um, that's kind of when I just shut down and shut people out. I just kind of found a place and just I couldn't eat. I didn't want to eat. Um, you know, I really wanted to be around Jesse and Congo in that moment. Um, but I also knew so many other people were like, oh, Jesse, are you okay? And, oh, is everything, um, you know, whatever. But I was like, I just want to talk to him about, like, underneath the water, what were his thoughts. I want to know, like, what that experience was for him. Because am I weird feeling this way? Like, I was feeling all this conflict. Um, and 
what I found out later from him was kind of the same kind of thing was that he had this weird um, kind of peaceful acceptance of, of Mm -hmm. that he can't do anything about, about dying. And the thing is, it's so different. Um, That experience to me was so different from um, my near death experience in Afghanistan, Um, because that's something that, you're trained for um even though when i regained consciousness and not seeing a single marine i never knew as a as a female cook that i would ever like go into battle get knocked out and then no one's there like that never ever crossed my mind um so like for me but i was able to draw on some training and go okay well i do need to find a place to go i need to find the other marines i need to get out of this environment i don't have enough rounds to shoot so like the training kicks in where you're under the water at the mercy of the elements nobody's around no training even if you're the most amazing olympic swimmer that grand canyon is 150 to 200 feet deep average and body recovery is minimal and so the currents the underlying currents are between 45 and 50 miles an hour at some spot so like even if the water on top is calm and it's not a rapid, it's moving that fast underneath. Um, and so like when you're at the mercy of such like that type of environment, there's nothing that any kind of combat training can prepare yeah, you for or any kind of a water training. You know, like I wasn't even thinking about how cold the water was. I just was thinking, yeah, was you know, here I am. I'm going to die here. Like, and yeah. I can't do anything, but I also felt yeah. okay with that. Um, I felt very much like um, that it was okay if that was going to happen because I couldn't do anything about it. Let's be honest. When we go down range, we kind of accept that we're not going to make it back. Like I never thought I would live to 35. You know, I was just like, something's going to take me. I don't know what it's going to be, but something's going to take me. And, you know, but I also realized that in that moment, in that moment, I also realized, I know a lot of veterans, struggle with suicide, have been impacted by suicide. Um, You know, I myself have had those thoughts as well. Um, But what it made me realize in that moment so vividly and so clearly was how much I didn't want to die. Because also in that moment, I realized I could easily just suck in water and be dead. And everyone would think it was an accident. No one would know. And so what it really made me realize in myself was, I do have something to live for. I don't maybe know specifically what it is or what it's going to be, but I do know that I want to live and that I need to live. Um, And so that's what I think the entire trip, even when I spoke to Hank separately, um, right before, I think it was the second to last day, he told me, he's like, something's different with you. Um, He's like, it it definitely, it definitely happened with that experience that you had. Um, but you, um, you definitely have changed in the fact that you aren't seeing things the same way you saw them. And he told me that is the reason why we have these trips. And yep. for me, that was encouraging because it meant that someone else could see that those smaller, those smaller things in life that are, um, you know, I've, I've been in a custody battle for my kids. Oh, you know, that's very stressful. And I know other people have too, or struggles with school or depression and anxiety and being on meds and suicidal thoughts. And 
not having a purpose, all of those play a part. But when you're in a situation where your thoughts are, I guess I'm going to die and there's nothing I can do about it, you realize really, really quickly that you don't actually want to. You really don't. Um, How profound. How profound. So for those of y'all that are uh, just tuning in with us, um, we are here with Sergeant Susan Susan Welch from the United States Marine Corps, and we're uh, sitting here discussing our trip down the Grand Canyon uh, in August of last year um, and the experience she had and, and uh, how, how she was able to come out on the other side stronger, and, and myself included. Um, so, Susan, I, I'd, I'd like to just take a second and talk about kind of like with, when we went on our, our walk. So I, as a, as a yeah. woman, um, you know, my aquatic training, um, especially going over the special operations side of the house, like you, you've got to be good to swim. I mean, we're a maritime force in readiness, just as it, like right. just organic Marines, but you know, you get over there, man, you got to be pretty uh, aquatically inclined, almost like a dolphin. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I had, I, you know, I had, drown a couple times. You know, we call it the eye of the gerbil because it's the last thing a gerbil sees before it goes in Richard, Gere, Richard Gere's behind. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like Looney Tunes. It's like that black, it's a shallow water blackout. You know, you get that, it's just a black Looney Tunes vision closes in and tunnel vision starts happening and then you just wake up on the side of a pool with a man's mouth on your mouth and you're like, ah, 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 right. not again. Like, you know, whoops. All right, back right. in the pool, you know. But you were you were really having a rough go of it. So we, we took the opportunity where we were camping for that night. Uh, there was a waterfall, and Susan and I we went and walked uh, up to the waterfall and just kind just kind of caught up and and chatted about it, what was going on. Yeah, well that experience. So that evening, um, we that evening of the boat incident, we camped. I isolated, um, and then the next morning we went on the river and. It was kind of calm water. So our next campground, um, I didn't really want to hang out with the females. And everybody else kind of went to the waterfall and and did this walk. And um, then we had some free time. And it was really nice because at that point, I was a little more comfortable going over and talking to you and you and Congo and Jesse and Darren. Um, And our, our group had kind of started forming at that point. And so during that time, having you like say, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's go see the waterfall. We didn't go with the earlier group. Let's just go yeah, now. Yeah, we stayed behind. Um, and so we went and it was right at sunset. And so we had this incredible view of, you know, of the river, of the canyon, oh, the sun yeah, sitting on the cool. canyon and the waterfall coming down. And you told me, um, you're like, Hey, let's go over. Let's, you know, get near it. And, whatever you know and I was like eh, I don't know I don't you know I'll stick my leg in it but I don't really know if yeah, I want to go in you it want, you're like I don't um, I don't really I'm not comfortable with water right now and I was like you know what yeah this is gonna help and uh so I I went and first it, and went under and I, I you know once you tilt your head a certain way you can breathe but you're getting this awesome waterfall that's falling from I mean that thing was about like 60 80 feet so the water's yeah. falling with a lot of weight and uh you know so you I stepped under it and I, and I, I could breathe. And I really just took a moment because my body was killing me after, after our event, you know, like my, my shoulders being torn, like we're pretty jacked up. We had to do some serious paddling in that class. Nine right. And, and uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I was like, let's, let's go to the water. And so I invited you. I said, come, come with me and trust me. Right. 
And I, I want, right. would you tell us from your perspective? Because I, I don't think I do it justice. Um, sure. Um, so when you asked me, like, after you went under a couple times, you're like, oh, this is great. You know, it's fine. I was like, eh, I don't know. So finally I was like, okay. Um, so you held out your hand. I took your hand. And um, I kind of, like, sort of went under the waterfall. And you're like, no, put your head under it. And um, and I put my hand on the smaller I, back so that yeah, you knew that someone was supporting. Yeah, and you put your hand on the smaller back. And the other one was, like, on my upper arm so that I had to, like, put my head under and I could feel like the water pounding like around me and on my shoulders on my head but I could still breathe but um I was very shaky I was freaking out my heart was racing um and then you just kept telling me be one with water um accept it it's okay breathe through it be one with water be part of it and eventually over several minutes of that um I kind of like drew back a little bit and I just had this weird like really realization of um like how much I really didn't actually face my fears by getting in the raft after nearly drowning but that it was a lot deeper than that and so having you kind of coach me through that and like take the time like one-on-one to actually be like oh hey like let's go do this which I don't know. I mean, I don't think it didn't look like you had some agenda, but um, no. you did it so naturally that it felt um, liberating. And I think what it made me able to do is when we jumped off that waterfall the following day, um, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have been able to do that if it hadn't been for that. Because even yeah. when I went under the water that time, um, I think it was Havasu Falls River thing. Um, when we jumped there, when I went under, it was only, you know, seven, eight feet deep. I was like, I couldn't get to the top fast enough. But once I got to the top, I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump again and see if this works and jumped again. It was really not a problem anymore. Um, But I don't think if I hadn't had that waterfall experience with you, I don't think I would have even considered even jumping in the first place off that waterfall. So well, and you would you. have you would have left with you would have no if, no thanks needed. That's you know we we got to experience something that and grow from it you know in ways that we didn't really anticipate. And that you know that was what the um, the, the Native American that gave us our blessing he asked us to do. He implored us. He said, find something and leave it in this river. And I don't right. know what it was for you, but for me, I had a I had a first sergeant when I was my first deployment in Iraq. I love this dude. Like. Honestly, my inspiration for staying in the Marine Corps is because I sat and talked with him in the gym one day um, when we were in Fallujah and, like, and just was like, hey, first sergeant, you've known me a while, man. Like, what do you think? He's like, bro, you know, stay in. So, anyway, he uh, was a recon sniper dude in Somalia, and he always, he always made us carry a, a knife and a watch. And uh, that knife and the watch, he said, you know, if, if everything goes bad, at least you've always got that. And, uh, you know, there was, there was meeting behind it, but he used to do what he called knife checks. He'd pull out his knife and, you know, have his watch on, and, and if you'd have to flick your knife out and show your watch in kind. And if you didn't have it on you, then you had to do 25 push-ups and, well, 25 to 5, so 30 push-ups total. Uh, and uh, so, like, to the point where we were – we didn't have showers my first deployment for, like, the first half of it, but we were taking water bottle showers, but we got a, we got a showers finally – and he can't, he walks out of one of the shower stalls and butt naked, just knife and watch out. 
He's like, who's got him? They got naked dudes having to do push-ups in the shower. They're like, come on, first, all right? Like, what's up, man? But anyway, that, that kind of that stuck with me, man. And I always, always, always had my knife and watch on me. And, you know, when I was first getting out and dealing with, you know, realizing that I had anxiety and that I was dealing with, you know, some stuff when I got out that was going to be a lot different than when I was in. And I told the therapist, I said, dude, I don't feel safe going anywhere unless I've got a gun or a buddy with me. They're like, well, just take a gun or a buddy with you. Then I was like, oh, glad. thanks, doc. Awesome. I love that. So there was a while where I just was, I had to have a pistol on me, um, you know, and mm-hmm. that was, I was able to kind of slowly wean off of that and always be like, well, I've still got my knife. So I right. left because we could only bring one bag and I was going to bring a carry on. I was like, Dad, I'm stressed now. I'm gonna have to check my bag. You know, I got like, I have to take my knife. And I was like, you know what, Chad? You're going on a on a, on a trip with a bunch of Marines. No threat. Like, even though it's a survival thing, you should have a you know, or not a survival, but like a like an outdoors thing. You should have a knife with you. It's like the guides will have everything we need. Let it go. And so I didn't realize it until like the second to last day. But I was like, wow, I felt safe and comfortable. The whole time and I even since I've gotten back there's been times where like I, I don't feel the just the fear like that gut feeling of like oh god where is it when I when I go to feel for my knife and that for me is meaning that I'm getting more comfortable in my surroundings and I don't feel that everyone I meet has to be friend or foe which I think is really cool and that that for me um was my big let go of, of the king, aside from just being absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it, right. it was, uh, it was. That's it, tremendous. Yeah. And, you know, since I've gotten back, I went through some stuff when I got back that was like nothing I ever thought I was going to deal with uh, emotionally. And uh, I've probably gone through some of my darker days that I've ever experienced in my life um, just since the trip. But you know what? If I hadn't gone on that trip, I don't know where I would be. I really don't. I don't know. Like it, it, it reset me in a way that it, I can't really even put into put into words. Um, but as as we always do, uh, you know, with my show, we try and talk about resiliency and we try and talk about how to be a, the strongest veteran that you can. And as uh, many of y'all are military members, uh, whether you're a, a spouse of a of a veteran or a family member of a veteran or you're just a patriot. Most of y'all either know someone or have encountered someone that's going through a crisis. Know what the resources are and know that you're not weak if you go out and you ask for assistance. Exactly. Asking for assistance is the only thing, whether it's calling a friend or calling some of the services that are out there, it's the only thing that's going to keep our demographic from falling victim to well, the, uh, the ever-present threat of suicide. It's stronger. Right. It's, it is. Yeah. So, well, Susan, I, I just can't thank you enough. Um, you, you know I love you, um, but I'm really glad we Absolutely. got to get on today and re-kick off my radio show and, uh, and talk too. about our thank experiences. You. Well, yeah, thank you, um, and I was so glad. Thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, um, if anybody has uh, any questions or comments, um, feel free to add them in the comments below. And remember, uh, if you want to share this uh, this radio show and all of the previous radio shows, um, you can go on a blog talk radio with the Lions Radio Network and the Military Hour with Chad Wooten, and you can replay uh, any of the uh, radio shows that we have or today's episode 
They're also available on iTunes and Amazon. So thank you to everyone who is out there that uh, believes in the mission of American Patriots going downrange and everybody who supports. Uh, if you have any questions about the Grand Canyon River Runner Association, uh, who does the, uh, the trip for veterans, um, or have any, any need to uh, find resources yourself, feel free to hit us up. And don't forget that in every community, there's a number called 211. I say again, 211. It's like 911, but with a two. Uh, and it has, it's through United Way, and it has every available resource that uh, your community has to offer for not just veterans, but anybody, uh, anybody that lives in the community. So those are always available to help you find free clinics, uh, health clinics. And if your VA experiences aren't the best, uh, find yourself your advocate and your case manager and turn that tide around. Um, God bless everyone, and thank you for your time today, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Military Hour with Chad Wooten.